for the last three or four years, six days a week at 6 a.m. in the morning, another pastor here, Brad Brustle, and I meet and we work out. Three days a week we lift weights, three days we do cardio. Yes, I know, the cardio bit's not working out quite as I hoped, but perhaps this next year. We've discovered that our favorite lift when, on the days we lift weights is the bench press. And so we spend a lot of time working on that. And maybe it's because we can lie down when we're lifting, I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, we enjoy that particular lift. And besides making sure that we're lifting safely, I never really gave much thought to bench press technique. In fact, ignored it. I thought... Bench press technique was just for the elite, the competitive lifter who's trying to lift a massive amount of weight. What use could it be for a couple of old guys who are just trying to stay in shape? So again, just ignored it. Didn't seem relevant to me at all. That was for other people. Well, after a little over a year of hard work on the bench press, I was seeing very minimal gains. And... I decided at that point I was going to look more closely at uh, a, the bench press technique of the female um, bench press world record holder, Jen Thompson. And so I watched some of her instructional videos and I discovered that bench press technique wasn't just for the elite lifter, not just for the competitive lifter, but for the average lifter like me. So I went about studying the technique some more and putting it into practice and incorporating it into my lifting uh, routine. And what I found is in about three months' time, I had progressed three times more than I had in the previous 12 months altogether. And I saw the relevance of this, and so it's just become part of my bench press routine. So whether I'm warming up, I'm you know training, I'm trying to lift my max amount of weight, that technique has become relevant all the time. I think my experience with bench press technique is quite a lot like many Christians' understanding of the gospel. I don't think that they understand it very well, and that misunderstanding leads them to not see that it's relevant to their daily lives. I think most Christians equate the gospel with merely the plan of salvation, which we've all heard. You know, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. I believe and accept that I get to go to heaven when I die. But if I'm already saved, what use is that to me? the rest of my life, other than I'm thankful for it and I need to tell other people about it. But that's for other people. That's for non-Christians. The gospel is for non-Christians. Well, this morning, I would like to try to convince you that the gospel is for everyone every day. And that you and I, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, our maturity in Jesus, we all need to hear the gospel. We all need to be proclaiming the gospel to each other every day on every occasion. If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 1. 
And in the New Testament, you have the four Gospels, then the book of Acts, and then the next book after that is Romans. Romans 1, and I'd like us to consider verses 1 through 17. Let me read those for us. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord, from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the first several verses, we are going to encounter what Paul believes the gospel is. Too often, when we read a New Testament letter, we kind of rush through the opening part so we can get, kind of get to the meat of the letter. Well, let me suggest that we get to the meat of the letter in the first few verses, because here is where Paul lays out what exactly the gospel is. And if we don't understand what the gospel is, we're not going to understand its relevance for my life day to day. So what is this gospel? Well, I want us to note first of all in verse 2 that this gospel or this good news was something that was promised back in the Old Testament through the, through the prophets. And so we must understand what was it that the Old Testament prophets were promising to God's people back then? Well, the promise was that there was going to come a day when God would send a deliverer, namely a king in the line of David. Remember God's promise to David that there would be a descendant of his who would sit on his throne forever. And that was the promise, that one day God would send this king who would come and not only deliver the people, but bring peace and bring justice, bring God's blessing, and in fact restore God's very presence among them. This was the promise that a king would come. 
And that leads Paul then to go on and tell us what this gospel is. What is the good news? And what we find is that the good news is simply that this Jesus is this promised king. Jesus is king. And it's interesting to note some of the terminology that we're going to see in these first few verses that the people in Rome would have understood right away. They lived under the Roman emperor, Caesar, and Caesar became known by several titles. Caesar was known as Lord, he was known as Savior, and he was known as Son of God. In fact, that term Son of God was inscribed on coins that people used with Caesar's image on it. And so notice what Paul is saying, that this good news that was promised in the Old Testament times is regarding God's Son. Okay, so the gospel is not about us. The gospel is about Jesus. And so if we're going to proclaim the gospel, it has to be centered on Jesus. But what specifically about Jesus? Well, Paul says it's that Jesus is king. Notice he says that as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. In other words, he's in the royal line. This is the Messiah. If you back up to verse 1, you see that Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. At several other points, again, at the end of verse 4, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That term, Christ, is not Jesus' last name. Mary and Joseph Christ didn't have a son named Jesus, right? Christ is a title. It's the Greek word Christos, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. So in other words, this is the descendant of David. This is the Messiah. This is the one who was promised the king has arrived. And in verse 4, this descendant of David, this Messiah, again, which would have, people would have thought, okay, king of the Jews, we get that. But in verse 4, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power through the resurrection. But the son of God, that was the Roman emperor. That was Caesar. That was the title that he had. But Paul is saying, no, the world's true king is not Caesar Rather, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. And what makes him so is the resurrection. Well, why does the resurrection make Jesus the Son of God, the King, or show that he's the King? Well, again, people in the Roman world were thought, how can you think that this Jesus is King of the world? After all, the Roman government under Caesar put Jesus to death, killed him, did away with him. But because of the resurrection, Jesus conquers the grave and conquers death and conquers evil. He's shown to be the world's true Lord, the world's true king. It's Jesus who is king. And then at the end of verse 4, Paul says, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, our Lord, or our king. Again, it's not Caesar who's Lord. It's Jesus So the very content of the gospel that brings hope to people is that Jesus is king. This king that God has promised is here. That is the gospel. That is the good news that the world needs to hear. And as we go on, this is the gospel that shaped Paul's vocation. 
fact, if you go back to verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, a servant of Messiah Jesus or of King Jesus. Really, it's a slave of King Jesus. So Paul considers his, again, his vocation as being a slave of, of Jesus, but to do what? To call to be an apostle, but set apart for this good news. Paul's calling is to go and proclaim this good news that Jesus is king, and particularly to the Gentile world. And in verse 5, we see that. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience. That, my translation reads, comes from faith. I, I don't think that that's the best translation. I think that it's the obedience that is faith, or that consists in faith. And what Paul is getting at here is, why is he calling people to obedience? People knew in the ancient world that how you responded to a king was in one of two ways. You gave your allegiance to that king, or you stood in rebellion. And what Paul is saying, he's calling people to faith, or we might say allegiance, to this king. That's his vocation. He's calling Gentiles to give their allegiance to this king that he's announcing. And he's doing something that would have been familiar to people, again, in the Roman world. When a new emperor came to the throne, or even sometimes on the emperor's birthday, government people would go around and proclaim the gospel, or the good news that Caesar was king. Well, here Paul says, that's my mission, is to go around and proclaim who the true king is. And to call people to give their allegiance to this true king. And give their allegiance through their trust in that king and through their obedience to that king. And so this is Paul's vocation. And it's centered on the gospel. And he hopes to do this to the people in in Rome. And in verses 8 and through the end of the, the chapter, he lays out his purpose for writing. Is he wants to come to them. He wants to come and visit them. Okay, and he says, you know, he's tried. At times he's been you know, prevented, but that's his goal. And notice in verse 11, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Well, what's the spiritual gift? I think we're told in verse 12 that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Or think by each other's allegiance or faithfulness to the king. Paul is anticipating that, that the allegiance that they gave to, to Jesus at their conversion isn't something that was only for that moment, but that it continues, and he'll be encouraged to see their allegiance, their obedience, their trust in Jesus, and they'll be encouraged to see his. And then I find it very intriguing in verse 15 that Paul says, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, a number of leading New Testament scholars believe, and I agree with them, that that the you here preach also to you who are in Rome includes these Roman Christians who have already responded to the gospel by giving their allegiance to Jesus. 
Now, you see, if the gospel was merely, you're a sinner, Jesus died for your sins, you need to say this prayer, go to heaven when you die, it would be confusing why Paul would want to come and preach the gospel to people who had already accepted that. But if the gospel is as Paul believes, and as he's laid out in the first few verses here of chapter 1, if that gospel is Jesus is king, then Paul sees it's important that he comes and preaches this good news to the people in Rome because they need it every day. They're confronted with, again, pressure to give their allegiance to the, the emperor, to Caesar, to other things. And they need to trust Jesus and obey him over anything and everything else. And so he's eager to come and preach this good news that Jesus is king, even to people who have already accepted that message. And of course, Paul wants to preach it to those who haven't as well. But this good news is for all people at all times. And Paul continues in verse 16 and says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Again, notice, Paul isn't equating the gospel with the plan of salvation. He says that salvation flows out of the gospel. And those who do give their allegiance to Jesus will experience salvation. They will experience the forgiveness of sins, and they will be able to live in God's presence for eternity. But he's not ashamed of this gospel, even in Rome, even in Caesar's own city. He's not afraid and ashamed to come and proclaim the good news that it's Jesus who's king, and in fact, it's Jesus who's Savior, and not Caesar. It is Jesus who delivers. It is Jesus who saves. And in verse 17, for in this gospel, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. And I think we should think of that term righteousness in terms of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. And this takes us back to verse 2. Remember, the, the prophets had promised this good news. And with the gospel and the announcement that the king is here, it shows that God has been faithful to his covenant promises to send this king to deliver his people. And it's a righteousness, Paul says, that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul is eager to go to Rome and preach the good news. Preach the gospel, again, to people who have never heard it, who have never responded to it, and to people who already have. Because they too need the gospel every day. They too need to be reminded that Jesus is king. And that they need to continue to trust their king, give obedience to their king give their allegiance to that king. And so what I think we see here is that the gospel is for everyone every day. And again, if the gospel is, as Paul says it is, that Jesus is king, that is relevant to me, not just at conversion, not just at the time I became a Christian, but it's relevant to me every day of my life, no matter what stage of my Christian life that I'm at. And my response to the gospel should be just as it was on that first occasion that I responded positively to it. I should trust. I should obey. And that's a continuous 
thing. It shouldn't be something that just happened once in the past. Okay, I said the prayer. I said I, that, you know, I trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then that's it. That reminds me of, again, an old um, Montana rancher that I, I worked for, kind of a gruff person. He was asked once why he never told his wife that he loved her. And he said, the day we were married, I told her I loved her, and if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. Okay, well, that's not quite how the gospel works. We don't just make a commitment then and then we don't think about it ever again. It's something that it's a continual commitment to giving my allegiance to the king, to trusting him and obeying him in no matter what circumstance I find myself. And so I think what implications does this have for us this year? I've been privileged, as even as uh, Brian earlier mentioned, of you know, the last, I don't know, four or five or so years, being able to preach on this last Sunday of the year. And I always try to think, okay, what would, what would be useful for people heading into a new year? And I think that this is very useful to us because it doesn't matter what we face this coming year, and none of us know what we're going to face. We're going to need the gospel every day. This year... You might encounter new life in your family, a birth of a child or a grandchild. Or unfortunately, some of us are going to experience the death of a loved one this coming year. But whether it's in the experience of a new life or the experience of one that leaves, we need the gospel. We need to know and understand that Jesus is king. And in those good moments and those bad moments, we need to trust him. And be obedient to him. This year ahead, some of us might experience sickness, injury. Others, it might be a year where we experience great health. But again, whether sickness or health, you and I need the gospel. We need to understand that Jesus is king. And to give our allegiance to him whether in the good or the, or the bad times. This year, you might experience the breakup of a family, maybe a divorce, the, uh, an estrangement of a, a family member, a child. Or you might experience a, a wedding and a, a new family being formed. Again, or the reconciliation of a family member. But in any of those situations, you need the gospel. You need to know that Jesus is king. You need to trust him in both the good and the bad times and to be obedient to him. This year you perhaps might find yourself with a new job or getting a promotion or a raise. Or maybe you'll lose a job. Maybe you'll enter retirement this year. In any of those situations, you need the gospel. You need to know and understand that Jesus is king that you can trust him, and that we need to obey him. And even in those good days at work, or the bad days at work, or just your normal day at work, you need the gospel. Whether you fail a test or pass a test at school, you need the gospel. The economy might tank this year. It might be great this year. Through all its ups and downs, You and I need the gospel. 
We need to know that Jesus is king, that he's in charge. We can trust him and that we also are obedient to him in the good and the bad times. Whoever's elected, whatever legislation passes or doesn't pass, we need the gospel. And yes, those who have never given their allegiance to Jesus need the gospel too. And in so giving their allegiance to Jesus, they'll experience the salvation that God has planned from ages past. And of course, the times of stress, the times of busyness in our lives, the times of vacation and relaxation. In fact, I cannot think of a situation, a circumstance, a life event where you and I do not need to be reminded of the gospel. To be reminded that Jesus is king. So if we have a proper understanding of the gospel, the fact that Jesus is king, then I think we'll understand that it's relevant not just at my conversion, but it's relevant every day of my life. And that I need to hear it, and I need to proclaim it to others, and not just non-Christians, but my fellow Christians. I would love nothing more than in this year ahead, as we walk through the halls on a weekend, is to hear people proclaiming the gospel to one another, reminding us of the fact that Jesus is king. If we do that, we would be very much like the early Christians. It's fairly well established that one of the earliest Christian creeds, maybe the earliest Christian creed, was a three-word saying, Jesus is Lord. Or in other words, Jesus is King. Those early Christians needed to hear that over and over. We do too. So no matter what life throws at us this year, good or bad, we need the gospel. And we need to be there ready to proclaim the gospel to each other. That Jesus is King. The gospel is for everyone, every day. Let's pray. Almighty God, whose faithfulness is everlasting, according to your covenant promises, you sent us the gospel in Jesus, the son of David, Israel's Messiah, and the world's true king. Grant us the grace to understand the good news and its daily relevance, so that we may be people who live fully in it, and who proclaim it to everyone, saved and unsaved, every day. Through Messiah Jesus, your Son, our King, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.